Greetings, Dr. Beckett. Welcome to the Quantum Leap Podcast. Theorizing that one could time travel within his own lifetime, Dr. Sam Beckett stepped into the Quantum Leap Accelerator and vanished. He awoke to find himself trapped in the past, facing mirror images that were not his own and driven by an unknown force to change history for the better. His only guide on this journey is Al, an observer from his own time, who appears in the form of a hologram that only Sam can see and hear. And so Dr. Beckett finds himself leaping from life to life, striving to put right what once went wrong, and hoping each time that his next leap will be the leap home. Listening to the Quantum Leap Podcast. This is episode 52, Shock Theater. Hey, hey, what's going on here? Nobody punches me and gets away with a Biederman. Nobody. You're not giving him shock treatment. Shock? You watch me. No, you can't do that. That's too high. You'll kill him. You shocked me. Sam, they gave you electroshock treatment. God. I don't want to stay here. Uh, you're Sam Biederman. You're in Havenwell Hospital for acute depression. Sam? Sam? Who are you talking to? Right, Samantha. Samantha? My name's Jesse Tyler. Now I only sat down at that lunch counter because I was hungry. I don't belong in no, no loony bin. Okay, well, well, what do you want I should do? Hmm. Dr. Beeks says the only way you're gonna get your ego back, yeah, is if you take another one of those electroshock treatments. No. Yes! No, no, no more shocks. Yes, I you said no! No more shock, no way, pal. No more, forget it. You can forget the it's whole the thing. only chance of getting out of here. Forget, no way, I'm gonna Sam. do this, Yes! <laughs> Hello, everyone, and welcome to a spooky Halloween episode <laughs> of the Quantum Leap Podcast. I'm keeping this, that this as the intro, awesome. guys. <laughs> Wowie. We're gonna be talking about it nowhere. <laughs> <laughs> it's the Halloween one. You got I got to do it. If it comes out around Halloween, who knows. <laughs> Today we're going to be talking about my favorite episode, Shock Theater. I am one of the hosts, Allison Pregler. I'm here with Christopher DeFilippis and Matt Dale. I'm so excited to be talking about Shock Theater. Um I just love the episode to pieces and I'm really glad that this fell around Halloween. It definitely is one of the heavier episodes without being overtly horrific. It still fits right into the horror wheelhouse. And uh, like you, Allison, this is one of my favorites, too. And coming off of Nuclear Family, which I absolutely love talking about, I can't wait to hear why this is your favorite. I, I suspect that this is a fan favorite for many. Yeah. But the fact that this is your favorite episode, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking you have a lot of specific things to talk about, and I really want to get into it with you. 
And for sure, it's uh, it's definitely very dark and uh, yeah, very Halloweeny. I I think it's I think it is actually quite a horrific episode in places. So yeah, we're gonna have some fun. There's a a lot of stuff to break down in this. Uh, I told you guys before we started, I took copious amounts of notes, um, mm-hmm. and it's not just because it's my favorite episode. There is just a lot of stuff to think about uh, in shock theater, and I think you're right that it is a fan favorite. Uh, a lot of people like this one. Um, so I guess we should just start with initial impressions before we dive really deep into it, because uh, like I said, I got a lot to say. Um, <laughs> <laughs> for me, it's the perfect storm of drama with just a little bit of humor. It is more on the drama side, but there is some funny stuff about it. And it's just a, a primo episode for Sam and Al's relationship. And I think that's one of the standout parts about it, because the leap is to save Tibby, but the stars are really Sam and Al. It's really their story. And I think that's um, kind of rare in the show, actually. So uh, what, what do you guys think? Like, what's your initial impressions of Shock Theater? Well, Allison, I think everything you just said is what makes this episode such an all-timer and such a fan favorite. It does focus on Sam and Al almost exclusively. Um, the Tibby stuff is, is just kind of off to the side. And I think that it holds up after repeat viewings um, so well. And there's one really odd thing about this episode, not odd bad, but just something that I found very odd. And I think we'll talk about it as we go on. Um, That's the only sort of new thing that I gleaned from watching it again, because I have to say this might be the episode, this and the leap back that I've seen the most because I own both of them on VHS. So when there was no quantum leap out, I would just pop these in. So I've seen this episode dozens of times, probably dozens of times, and it's still as good as I remember it that first time. I um I I really want to say that I love this episode um, because I'm scared of Allison. Um, <laughs> I um, you're banished from the podcast. <laughs> I haven't even said anything yet. Give me a chance. I used to love this episode. Um, every time I watch it, I find something more that bothers me. Um, and I still think it's a really good episode. Um, and it does come at the end of a a string of stand-up episodes and it's fine. But I suspect you guys are, yeah, you're obviously already holding it up as, as pretty close to the perfect episode. I, there's a few areas that I'm going to raise if you don't raise them already, um, to, to perhaps provide a counterpoint. That's fine. And can I ask just to clarify, Matt, is it something that you notice every time that you find increasingly annoying or is that you find more things to dislike <laughs> about it as you rewatch and rewatch? Yeah, it's both. Um, <laughs> oh, wow. No, um, no I, I've seen it a lot of times and it is mostly that there's, there's elements of it that, that bother me more and more each time. Um, it, it still never stopped being one of my favorites, but, um, yeah, it just, it slips a little bit further. You know, I, I have a feeling, um, some of the things that bother you about it, because I don't think it's the perfect episode. It's my favorite, but I think there's, um, some problematic elements to it, um, that I, I can look over because, the stuff that's really good is just really damn good to me. Mm-hmm. But there are things about it um, that I don't think are perfect. Like uh, the fact that this episode is about shock treatment 
it's completely inaccurate to what shock treatment is. Like, <laughs> they actually still do shock treatment. Like, it's not like you're zapping people like they're in the electric chair. Like, it's completely mm-hmm. inaccurate. And I don't think even the um, the numbers that they set it to is even a high number on the machine, like, in, in real life when they do shock treatment. The thing is, it's it's beyond inaccurate. It's literally Looney Tunes logic. It's, yeah. oh... We, we've whacked someone over the head and they've yeah. forgotten who they are, so we'll whack them over the head again and they'll get their yeah. memory back. You know, oh, wow, don't ruin that for me because uh, <laughs> I was I was watching it. The one nitpick I found was it doesn't make much sense to me that Sam needs to be shocked again nah. in order yeah. to replace yeah. his ego. No, no, how, no. But you know what? I don't care. I don't care. I'm just, I'm, I'm about to cry. I don't care. <laughs> oh, yeah. There's a lot of things if you dig deeper into it, like they don't make a lot of sense. And, and I'll get into that when we get further into the episode. But um, I mean, there's that. And there's some parts of the depictions of mentally ill in this that is not really uh, PC, I should say. Like um, yeah. Al calls them mentally absent at one point. <laughs> Um, he calls them Looney Tunes. Looney yeah. Tunes. They're Looney Tunes in a big white room. Um, <laughs> oh, but, have um, we got to the rap already? Or are we saying... <laughs> no, 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 no. I got a whole section on the rap. Good. I thought you would have. <laughs> but, um, but I will say, as a counterpoint to the, the mentally absent thing, um, this opposed to some other Asylum-based episodes and TV shows... I think the scary part is not supposed to be the patients. It's supposed to be the staff and mm. they're highlighting the mistreatment. So I think yeah. that's a little bit better that it's not saying, you know, the, that the enemies are the others, the the weirdos in there. Yeah, I mean, the staff are scary. Butch is one of the, the best villains um, of the season, to my mind. Yeah, he's a real creep. He's yeah. an amazing dick. I love him. Yeah, if if he dies, it's going to be your fault. I mean, that is <laughs> such an evil line to say to someone. That's that's going to mess someone up. Yeah, and that was a real issue even now, but especially mm. in the 50s, how the mentally ill were treated. Well, the other thing I liked about it is you have the heavy heavy like Butch, mm. who is just, you know, he's just evil. He's mm. just you know, mustache twirling people. <laughs> but you also have the other doctors. Mm-hmm. Um, who was it? Uh, Dr. Masters, I guess, is the main mm-hmm. one. They bring in other ones afterwards. But you can tell that as they become more intrigued with Biederman's or Sam's plight, he becomes less of a person and more of a case for them to make their bones mm-hmm. on. Mm-hmm. So even in, you know, ostensibly helping Sam to work through this by doing the research, it's not really about helping Sam. It's about coming up with that new big breakthrough case or whatever's going to get them in the journals and it was insidious and they don't really hit that over the head like they do the butch stuff but it's right there yeah and this is horrific for sam i mean you can see burn marks on his temples yeah drooling at the beginning um and i think also what happens to Sam here is something that's very close to Al um, because his sister died in an institution because of neglect one year before the year that Sam leaped into. Mm. And I think there was some real significance uh, in Sam becoming Jimmy at the end because mm, Jimmy and Trudy both had Down syndrome. Wow. I never made that connection. Yeah. I, I'm, to me, there was a reason for the script that he became Jimmy at the end. And we can discuss that, but I never made the connection with Trudy 
And it's funny you say that because when I was writing my book, there's a part at the end of the book where Al goes into an institution and it brings up all these memories of Trudy and he, he can't stand it. But I never made the connection in this episode. So, wow, awesome, cool. Yeah, I'm, I'm surprised they don't make more of a thing about that in this. That's one of the things I just adore about this episode because there's so much to be read into that isn't said. Like, you can't not compare when Sam is freaking out thinking that he's a POW in Vietnam that Al would feel something about that because that's what happened to him. He's reliving his worst nightmare. And uh, this was something that was more in the script, but you can see it here. When Sam's leaving the room in that scene, he's holding his hands as if he is tied up. He's just reliving what Al's lived through. Al is just reacting at one point just with his hand on his head like he doesn't even know what to do. Wow, another observation I didn't make. Amazing. I guess then we can sort of get into a discussion of why they chose the characters they chose for Sam to relive. It never really dawned upon me that they might be doing it for thematic purposes. Mm. Anyway, not until I started to watch for the podcast. And now, Allison, that you, you said that, that didn't even occur to me. So where did they, did they pull names out of a hat? Like, how did they figure what was going to work where? I did cotton to the fact that Sam started calling himself Samantha Stormer when he was saying, Sam, Sam. Then he looked out the window and the storm is raging. And he said something like, Storm. And that's where that clicked into place. And I'd never noticed that before. Yeah. But then we go on to Jesse and we go on to Kid Cody and we go on to Tom Stratton and we go on to, you know, a, a number of people that just to me always seemed like random thoughts. Maybe Deborah liked those episodes. I think they were just picking ones that were memorable, to be honest. Some of them thematically make a lot of sense. But uh, I think like... Those are just ones people remember and um, were milestones in the show, like the first time he leaped into a woman, the first time he leaped into someone of color, things like that. Um, the Leap Home was a really memorable episode, so they flash back to that. And a brief sidebar on that, in that the, the episodes with those characters in are the episodes that when they were releasing a series of ad hoc VHSs, um, they were the ones that were picked. Um, mm. Kamikaze Kid's the only one that's not represented here, but other than that, it's um, oh, and Catch a Falling Star. But it's basically, it's yeah, there, there was obviously some decision that yes, these are the milestone episodes, um, and that decision was made for this, and that decision was made when the videos were coming out. So, Matt, are you telling me that we're watching basically a stealth marketing campaign because it ties into the one weird observation actually, I had if, for this episode? If you, watch, if you watch the videos, which in, in the UK they're re-edited so they all leap into each other, it acts like a little Quantum Leap miniseries it's, with, with this as hmm. kind of the, the climax. It's quite nice. Wow, because the one thing that really struck me as odd on this rewatch was that this episode is a perfect jumping on point for anybody that's never seen the show. I don't because know, they go, mm. oh, They go to great lengths to reiterate the parameters of leaping, why yeah, and how Sam leaps, who Al is, how Al interacts with everybody around him. There is a lot of exposition about the show's premise in this one. And it just struck me as odd for not only a season finale, but a season finale that is so fan heavy. Like if you didn't watch this show up until this point, there's a lot that you're missing emotion wise in this, in, in the season finale yet. 
they seem to go out of their way to make it accessible to everybody. And I know that might have been just um, a product of the times. People would watch TV shows sporadically, so maybe they're jumping on for this because they promoted it a lot or something like that. So we might have more eyes watching. Let's really hit home what this show is about so they keep watching. And you, Matt, saying that it was tied into video releases, it makes even more sense now. You would think that this would be a clip show, but it's really yeah. not. Like, they have clips in it as reminders. Um, I don't know if this is a great jumping on point, though, um, because it's so heavy on Sam is not himself. Like, part of the reason that it's it's interesting is because it's odd and he's not really the mm. person that he was. And you'd have to be familiar with who Sam was before. But it's really heavy in show lore, which is uh, kind of unusual for the show, actually. They they have this tendency to not really go into a lot of details about things. This is one of the first times that they really dive into how Sam and Al became friends. Um, they have that bit where uh, Sam asks Al, who are you? And Al explains, you know, Sam believed in him when he stopped believing in himself and uh, how he gave Sam his first big break. Um, and that is just the seed for things to come. Yeah, and some of Dean's uh, material in this episode, I think, is his best in the series. The the, the best he got to do. His reaction and, when he says, who are you? And he has yeah. like that blink and then shift. So mm, good. Yeah. yeah, so good. And when Sam asks him, so I'm a good guy. And he just he <laughs> almost breaks down. You're the best. You're what? You You're know? a damn and good guy. Gets yeah. me. It gets me every time. So, uh, so I'm a good guy. Oh. oh, yeah, you're a damn good guy. After that whole situation um, that's been recounted by so many people um, in MIA, where Dean was given such good material to work with, but then he apparently begged Belisario, don't do anything like that again because it was so hard for me. This is probably the closest they come to kind of starting to push a bit in that direction again. And, yeah, giving him some um, some tough material to work with, in a way. There's so much acting in there where there isn't something said. Like, when he has that yeah. reaction to, to who are you, or when Sam's being led away back to his room after he thinks he's a POW, and that reaction yeah. that he has after Sam looks at him, like, is it okay if I go? Yeah. I did have a question, though, about... The whole exchange about their past, uh, when he says he gave Sam his first big break. I'm Al. I'm your buddy. I gave you your first break. And you're the only person that believed in me when I gave up believing in myself. You brought me on this project. This makes me wonder about some things when I really think about it. Because if you do the math from the episode <laughs> Starcrossed, um, the time that Sam and Al would have met would have been around 1984. And Sam would have been in his 30s by then, like 31. Mm -hmm. And he is a wonder kid, right? Like, he's played Carnegie Hall by this point. Like, he's a genius. He's gone through through uh, college and earned I don't know how many degrees. He's in his 30s, and yet he hasn't had his big break yet. Why is that? Why would someone of that level of genius not have gotten a break it's it's an interesting question. I think Ashley McConnell tried to address it in her novel Prelude, and she kind of posited that Sam was so brilliant that nobody could really follow what he was doing. Mm. So 
he's doing all of this groundbreaking work and everybody's interested, but nobody can figure out what the hell to do with it. How do we apply it? So Al was kind of the, the intermediary between the government and um, what they needed and prepping Sam in giving them only what they needed so that he could get the funding that he needed to get Quantum Leap off the ground. And it was, to me, it's as good an explanation as yeah. any for that line. It makes sense. My, uh, my headcanon is that going with what they talk about in Future Boy, that everyone thought Sam was kind of crazy with the time travel stuff, maybe he was sort of a joke in the community. Like, maybe they're like, okay, this guy's talking about time travel. Like, what are we going to do with that? Yeah, but also I think at this point, wasn't Al sort of a washed up has-been? In yeah. That community. Yeah. When you go into yeah. stuff that they talk about in play ball, um, it also makes me wonder the sequence of events. Sam saved Al, but then Al saved Sam. Yeah. It's not really clear what order that happened in, but there seems to be that that yin and yang um, relationship. Well, anyway, it it hammers home the point that the two of them need each other. Yeah. In order for absolutely. this to go on, in order for this to 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 be successful. So I like that they built that dynamic into the relationship because it makes them equals. I mean, you'd think that Sam as the head of the project with all of his smarts would be the de facto leader of the project. But it shows you, no, Al is on just as equal ground because without Al, none of this would have happened. And without Sam, Al wouldn't have had a second chance. So it's, it, it's a real sort of, like you said, Matt, like a yin and yang and... um collegial not just friends but colleagues yeah i just uh i just want to know more and more like they never give you enough about what really happened you know but just the fact that they get into that in this one yeah it's neat right you feel their relationship you feel how hard this is for al and and not having his friend there and and Mm. it's kind of a repeat of what happened at the beginning of genesis you know he doesn't recognize him at all and he has to start from the ground up and al is really the one that has to solve the leap now because sam is out (laughs) of the picture so he has to uh accomplish the goal of the leap (laughs) we're dancing around the rap again (laughs) Do you remember when I said that there was nothing about this episode that really annoyed me? Can I take that back? Alright, how good is this though? Okay, the middle of this dramatic episode... Things are are on the line, like they could lose contact with Sam forever, he's been given shock treatment, he's changing into all these different people, and in the middle of that comes the ABC rap. What the hell is going on indeed? What the hell is going on here? I just adore that they included this for a plot reason. Okay, Al has got to sing a rap about the ABCs. So he can teach Tibby how to read to keep him off the streets. And somehow this works. Somehow yeah. singing a rap song teaches him how to read. What? <laughs> yep. What? And hang on. You, can I just correct you on something here? You say for plot reasons. Now, around about this time, Deborah <laughs> Pratt is thinking about putting together a CD of Scott Bakula's songs from Quantum what? Leap. And suddenly, <laughs> she's writing an episode... 
where Dean gets to sing. But not sing-sing, rap-sing, <laughs> which is what you do when someone can't really sing, but you want to put them on an album. They're like, what What do we do? Have, have Dean Stockwell rap? Yes, this is a good middle ground that we can meet. <laughs> and let me just say, he puts 200% into this rap oh, song. Oh, bless him. Bless I him. adore the ABC rap. 10 out of 10 for effort. <laughs> Let me just say, I am the uh, ABC rap historian, so uh, so I got some whoa, whoa, facts. Whoa, 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 whoa. You, can't just, you can't just drop cred like that and expect, expect us to just accept it blindly. What makes you the ABC rap historian? I have done some research, my friends. <laughs> I got some factoids to throw at you. <laughs> there are three versions of the Quantum Leap rap. There is the version in the show, there is the CD version, and there is the original script version. <laughs> and there's there's a lot to go into with all of them. <laughs> all right. Are you sure about that? Yes. 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 Oh, no. On the CD version, if you look at the, uh, the little uh, pamphlet included with the CD, it is sung with the Pratt Pack. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> which is the children, oh, yes. the, the children do that do the backing, which includes Nicholas and Troyan Belisario. <laughs> Keep <laughs> and it in the family. There's a picture of them. Yeah, there's a picture of them in there with uh, with Scott Bakula and all the kids. Even though Scott Bakula uh, not in the ABC rap, which is uh, quite <laughs> unfortunate. Um, but I want to highlight <laughs> the the lyrics to the original version, which I don't think you know about, Chris. No, no, I certainly do not. Please, please enlighten me. There's a particular verse I want to highlight, which, uh, which uh, Matt knows what I'm talking about. Yeah. All right. Here is, a, here is honest and truly lyrics from the ABC rap in a uh, draft version of the Shock Theater script. <clears throat> Are you going to rap this? I'll try. God, I hope so. <laughs> now Sam's my man. I'm a fan. You got to understand. He's an all right cat from the future. He can party hardy, drink some Bacardi, and I got to say I know it would suit you. That was far too tuneful. Party hardy, drink some Bacardi? Sam Beckett? Excuse me? Sam Beckett drinking anything besides warm tap water. Party hardy, maybe a beer. Drink some Bacardi. How did this get into the lyrics? How? That's been my Tumblr header for years because I could not believe that this was ever on the table. Now, now I'm now waiting for Chris to jump in to say that Ashley McConnell actually explained that as well. That there's some reference to Bacardi in one of the novels. No, shame. No, nope, sorry, can't, that would have been good. You there, Sam, Sam loved Bacardi before he leaped. Right? Yeah. He, w- right. <laughs> he was into all the Alka Pops. He was a spokesperson for them. It's one of his many accomplishments. Yeah, it was Billy D. Williams had Colt 45 and Dr. Sam Beckett had Bacardi. And it was one of it was like the Cola Wars of the 80s. This this is there's so much to unpack <laughs> with, the, with the ABC rap. What were Sam and Al making a rap for? Yes. What were he says we were fooling around with a rap song. Hey Sam, you remember that song we put in Ziggy's memory banks a few years ago when we were No, you wouldn't remember. We were fooling around with a rap song there. Well, my favorite idea, my favorite headcanon for this is that this was like going to be a pitch song that they want, like for funding. Like they're like, we got to come up with some hook. <laughs> what are we going to do? I'll be lucky if I have a job in the morning. You know something? 
I don't like that look on your face. What you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. At no point in your rambling, incoherent response were you even close to anything that could be considered a rational thought. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. What, what, what really strikes me as just so incongruous about this scene, other than the fact, Allison, that you said it's dropped into the middle of a horror show, like a big, bright Sesame Street number, um, is that, what, Al can, like, freestyle now? He can just make this stuff up on the bat? He's a jack of all Al trades. can do anything. I, I guess, but here's the other thing that makes no sense about him having to make up a rap for Timmy. Now, this might have been Timmy. like a really Tibby, Tibby, Timmy, whatever. Tibby. God bless um, us, everyone. <laughs> but anyway, you think it might have had more credibility as a solution if the ABCs wasn't already set to music. And Tibby being a musical savant, you know, with the Hit Me Mama with the boogie beat, Look, he learned it on the first try. This was the 90s. You gotta move into the modern. You can't be singing ABCs all willy-nilly. You gotta because it. Because the alphabet rap is so much easier to remember than A, B, C, D, E. You're right, Allison. How, how could I have been so blind? Not, not for Dean Stockwell, apparently. <laughs> there was some interview where he's like, I forgot the damn ABCs. Poor, poor Dean. Oh, man. So maybe he was just saying that to give Thibodeau Johnson's plight a little bit more uh, credibility. <laughs> you you want to know, in the script, there was a, a reason for this. Apparently, Al was writing this rap for Tina? Yes! God, I'd forgotten that. Why was he writing? And I hope it wasn't about the ABCs at that point. <laughs> it was the ABCs of love. <laughs> He says uh, in the episode it was a few years ago, so that means like it was just before Sam leaked. So do you think like this is why they were losing funding? Because they were using a parallel hybrid computer to fuck around with bad rap songs? Maybe. Yeah. They're like, let's let's program this. Maybe Weitzman wasn't such a jerk after all, right? <laughs> <laughs> we have the script version, we have the the TV version, and we have the CD version. So, did the TV version and the CD version, aside from the 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 was it the the Belisario the Pratt Pack? Yeah. Do they have any any significant differences? I I believe in the uh, CD version, uh, Dean Stockwell uses the words "gangsta fool." Be down, be cool. Nobody's gangsta fool. Which I don't believe was in the episode. <laughs> don't be no one's gangsta fool. Yeah, there's, there's a whole extra verse. That is hardcore. And you wouldn't want to, you know, confront middle America with anything like that. So I get it. That's why it was on. Did it have the parental advisory explicit label <laughs> on the uh, on the CD when it came out? Did it tip a gore after them? <laughs> you can find this on Spotify. And please do. Yeah. Please, please listen to the ABC <laughs> This was Dean Stockwell's time to shine. Everything in this yeah. episode is, I know that this is heavy on Sam, and, and there's a lot of great stuff that Scott Bakula did, but Dean Stockwell is the star of Shock Theater. Oh, he certainly is. And I love the fact that they were building up to this in different ways throughout the second half of this season. Again, with Al taking more of an active role in bringing the leaps to a resolution. Mm. And... 
you really, you know, you, you, they, I think they were teeing it up for this specifically to show you that there's a different way we can do this. And it's, it's, it's all just fine. It just didn't happen for this episode because, even though it did, um, look, we, we, we planted the seeds for this kind of thing six, seven episodes ago. Yeah, if they were going to do that, though, it would have been nice if they'd have planted some seeds about Al being a wannabe rap star. Over the last few episodes. Just just a few references to vanilla rice, something like that. I don't know. Al throws in everything in every episode, like yeah. he's done something. Like, you tell, did I tell you when I ran away to join the circus? Yeah, when I was a pool player, now when I was a sharpshooter. So, I mean, why not rap star? <laughs> yeah. Maybe in the future, everyone's got their own rap album. You don't know. Maybe he has a chip in his head that helps him freewheel or freestyle, <laughs> whatever it's called. I'm not a rap fan, guys. So you have to. I don't know the lingo. Be down, be cool. Nobody's gangster fool. And the reason why I didn't know about the gangster line is because if and when I ever do listen to the Quantum Leap soundtrack, guess what's getting a skipped? What? No. <laughs> you gangster fool. <laughs> You're a loony tune in a big white room. I'm a hologram Al- the Allison, future. Allison, stop. Stop, please. Stop. <laughs> I'm going to give you what you need. <laughs> Say it. Say I, it. I believe that that part is, is a leftover from the Tina, the Tina version. <laughs> oh, yeah, that oh, makes sense. No. Oh, no. <laughs> uh, if, if we're going into the... Uh, the lore at the uh, at the project. This was our first appearance of Doctor Beaks. Yes, 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 it was. That's a big moment. Em- emphasis I on appearance. They just cut all her appeared. lines. I know. That's so mean. Is she then just a featured extra? Because technically, she had lines. We just couldn't hear them. So does that mean that they didn't pay that? That was Candy Ann Brown, like stiffed. I think so. She got credited, which is unusual for someone that doesn't have lines. Yeah, I mean... She's on screen. She's got an on-screen credit. I think it it was for money reasons, though, because they do the same thing in the next episode where she's in, where she has lines in the scripts, but they're all cut, which is such a bummer. Especially because, like, the main characters of Quantum Leap that are, are women, I feel like it just get... They get short the short end of the stick or yeah. short straw or whatever the phrase is short it, shrift short shrift <laughs> they i don't know i feel like you know there, there's opportunities that they just kind of throw away um but i dig her style and i thought it was a great moment where you see her mouthing the words bye sam see you soon mm. basically saying like i know you're gonna come back i'll see you when you come back but i think from her point of view she sees sam every day I mean, the aura of Sam anyway. And especially now if she's trying to work on Biederman, I think having to focus on him in her eyes, she she probably sees him as Sam Biederman in that asylum. It's funny because it, this episode also made me think a little bit more about the mechanics of the project and how it works and who sees what. Because there's that scene where Al is like shaking the hand link and he starts fading in and out. But he starts looking at his own arms. Yeah. As if he's the one fading. But to him, everything around him would be fading. He'd be the only real thing in the room. So to have, I get it visually, you have to see him reacting to the fact that he's Marty McFlying it. Yeah. (laughs) Someday you'll pay my wife! It's like, it it doesn't work with the show logic. He should be looking around him like what's happening to the hologram Mm -hmm. instead of, you know, 
the one thing that's solid to him in that environment. Yeah, definitely. Just on the topic of the beaks thing, before we move on to something else, because they cut so much of her out, it ends up being so pointless having her there at all. They make this big deal about how much energy they're using to get her to come and stand there and look at Sam for a minute. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. She contributes nothing. What a complete waste. In the script, she's actually doing stuff. Oh, I, I know, and and they come up with a solution to try and hypnotize Sam into becoming Jimmy for no reason at all. Uh, that I I'm so glad they cut that though. At least there's plot reason. It's a stupid plot reason, but it's I'm there. so glad they cut that though because yeah, that's yeah. kind of like they they come up with this solution to hypnotize him into becoming Jimmy because he'll be more susceptible to shock therapy or something rather than hypnotizing him into becoming Sam Beckett. Which yeah, I, do, would, I don't... Might, might be the obvious answer. Uh, wow, well, you guys have to. Um, you got to back up because you're you're speaking amongst each other <laughs> with all these tidbits about stuff that maybe two percent of our listeners have have read or seen. So, can can you just give a, a quick synopsis? I mean, I got most of it. I, we can glean it from what you're saying, but is there like a progression of of plot points that you can just lay out? Well, yeah, I mean, it, it doesn't it doesn't really make any more sense beyond what we've just said, and that's, I think, why they ended up cutting it. They just sort of throw that out there, and that's the only explanation. I got you. But you're saying, so, but, so, so Beaks, though, what was the setting for Beaks talking to Al about this? Were they back at the project, or was she standing next to him as a fellow hologram, or what were, what were the logistics? It was the same scene that she shows up in yeah. in the actual episode, except she talks and moves the plot forward, and... Sam has some lines as Cody where he goes like, I ain't being no retard and stuff like that, where I'm like, I'm I'm so glad that they cut that <laughs> because that's just awful. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it's something that Kid Cody probably would have said, but it doesn't make it any, any less awful. Yeah, well, and I feel like that goes into other issues that, that maybe the episode didn't need to get into. Well, go ahead. Like, like, like what? Like which ones? Well, I mean, like, if he's saying things like, I ain't be no retard and all this other stuff, like, I feel like it's just throwing in one element too many to try and focus on. Oh, I see what you're saying. I see what you're saying. I thought that you meant that there were other things that the... Ep- okay, okay. I misunderstood yeah. what you meant by that. The, they, well, they, they had some other stuff in there, too, about, like, the, the Nurse Chatham character. Um, she was involved in a previous patient's death. Um, like she was trying to help him, but he ended up like killing himself really gruesomely. And, uh, Butch is using that as sort of blackmail over her, but that ended up wow. being cut maybe because again, it's just a lot of elements. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's funny because I was wondering why Chatham didn't open her mouth sooner. If what Butch is doing is so horrific. Yeah. Just because she witnessed it doesn't make her complicit. And I, you know, I, I chalk it up to because, because reasons, because show, because you need to have some tension there. And yeah, but hmm. Nurse Chatham, even as she appears on screen, is an idiot. I mean, this is a woman that's quite happy to <laughs> to take the guidance of her patient at the end. It's like, yeah, sure, I'll put the shop treatment up. I'll... Yeah, I bet you needed that again for dramatic reasons. Let's be clear. Sam ruined this woman's life. Oh, yeah. Right? <laughs> yeah. By the end of this, her life is ruined. The only thing we can hope is that when Sam Biederman let back in, he was naked because Sam Beckett has taken his clothes off the time. <laughs> and that yeah, just what? distracted what? everyone. <laughs> so no one's concentrating on those Chatham because they're all concentrating on where the what? Sam Biederman's clothes have gone. What is going on? <laughs> what the hell is going on here? 
None of this makes any sense. <laughs> I mean, like, if this was normal circumstances in this world that they have set up anyway, um, she states these shock treatments could kill him. But she's still gonna do it because he says, Give Jimmy Shaka! Alfred, <laughs> you give Jimmy Shaka now! Uh, I'll go away! Like, yeah. why? Jeez, why would you listen to him? Because he looks so sad. He's a, he's a patient! <laughs> <laughs> she's no less ridiculous in this regard than freaking Dr. Sanders, who, because... Uh, Masters. He just starts yelling, Dr. Masters, rather... Then Dr. Masters, because Sam just starts yelling, give Jimmy Shocker, give Jimmy Shocker, mm. and set yep. up, set up the room, set up the room. We're gonna, he wants it, we're going to do it. It's like, why would he do it? He's supposed to be a bad guy, at least. Yeah, but again, clinically, on what planet would he say, yeah, okay, authorize it. Mm. It's just, I don't care how miffed he might be. It's just... Maybe it's part of his experiments of sorts. But I, I kind of wonder what happens to Sam Biederman once Sam Beckett leaps out. Because he's still left with that crappy doctor. Mm -hmm. There's no good yeah. guys there in the end. Like, no, well, that, that doesn't make a difference. We just needed to save Tibby with a rap. Stop <laughs> overthinking this, Allison. Everyone's worse off by the end. Yes, except Tibby, who has <laughs> now learned the ABC. Everyone else exactly. can go to hell. <laughs> but, you know, maybe that's the idea. Maybe they're all in Upstream <laughs> Creek and... It's it's a good thing because one, if not a few of them, might suffer the consequences of what happened here. And they're showing that this kind of stuff is not just a one-shot in this institution. It's endemic. Even the good humor man, orderly, is complicit to a degree. He's the nice one, but he's like the good cop with the good cop, bad cop, because you can't have two heavies. He looks like he, he runs an ice cream truck. <laughs> right, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. The good humor man. That's what I with his bow tie and his white shirt. It was oh, is that what good so humor stupid. is? Yes, oh, yes. See, I get it. I'm a good humor man. I'm the only man, man with the ice cream pan. I take my ice cream across the land. Strawberry shortcake, a chocolate eclair, to toast the armor with the sidewalk fan. I thought you just meant like he had some good humor. <laughs> I was like, oh, I guess. You didn't find yeah. the the ABC rap that funny though. What the hell is going on here? There are so many unanswered questions after this episode that I'm really surprised there wasn't a novel about it. Every other major unanswered question in this series ends up getting picked up somewhere in the novel range. Um, and this episode has... It's crying out for a sequel. I want to know what happens to all these awful people afterwards. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and nothing. So, Chris, as a contributor to the novel range, please explain. <laughs> I think I just did. Um, they all lose their jobs because there's some kind of Creedmoor-type expose based on the clusterfuck that Sam leapt out of. By who? By the world, Allison. <laughs> By... <laughs> I haven't written the book yet. I have to figure that part out, okay? By stupid beardy doctor they kept giving lines to. Like, I'm like, who... I don't care. Why is he just repeating stuff about MPD or whatever? But I think that this is an, another reason this, this struck me as sort of a jumping on point. There was so much spoon feeding going on in this episode in, in so many scenes that it's almost like they were in that mode. Just a lot of exposition for no apparent reason. And... I get it because... Yeah, but that's not exposition about the show. Yeah, but it's exposition for the sake of exposition. And I think that this episode suffers by the fact that you need to justify what's going on in front of you. And that's more of a writer problem. Mm -hmm. And Deborah's the you know the best writer the show has. But I think even she felt like 
Sam just being in this room interacting might be a little less than satisfying for someone watching at home. You need to tell people exactly what's happening in order to keep them engaged because according to network executives and advertisers, you know, the great unwashed masses are idiots. And unless you're spoon feeding them plot point by plot point by plot point what might be going on, they're going to lose interest. Maybe they gave more exposition to the staff because Sam's out to lunch. So he's not really <laughs> yeah, asking so they, like yeah. owl things. And Al is usually the one to give the exposition. And it feels less tedious when Al is doing it because, you know, it's it's humorous and he's a main character. And they put it, you know, in yeah. some some character to it rather than just like, well, there's the so-and-so and there's what's going on with him. And I think <laughs> this and he's looking at his... His invisible friend, Al. <laughs> but for all that, none of that ever bothered me with the episode because I think it's sort of a natural reaction to what's going on with them. I, I don't know. I don't know. I didn't have a problem with it. There are so many things that Sam couldn't possibly know about the people mm. he's leaped into. Yep. I wanted to bring that up. Yeah, yeah, me too. There's a part where... um. In the script, when Al tells Sam to give his name, rank, and serial number, um, Sam mm -hmm. thinks that he is a POW because Magic was a POW after mm -hmm. he leaped out, yeah. which doesn't make any sense. Um, and that was cut. But there are things like um, Gloria not letting Samantha smoke in the apartment or mm -hmm. Jesse's family trying to teach him to read or the fact he's got rheumatism. And I wonder uh, if you guys think that this has to do with... I don't know, residuals left behind, things that maybe he knows about them, or if maybe Sam was making this up and it wasn't true at all about the people he leaped into. Yeah, I'm I'm firmly on the side of Sam was filling in the blanks and, and his mind was making this stuff up. But absolutely, I think wow. you can interpret it either so, way. I'd say no. Because if you go with the script with that POW thing, then it's true because yeah. magic was a POW. But if they cut that out, it leaves it open to more interpretation. Okay, but so magic was supposedly a POW after Sam left his 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 body or whatever. Yeah. After Sam leaped out of his his world. Yeah. So this is something that happens post leap that Sam po couldn't possibly have known about. Yeah. But that was also something that was cut, so that right. it so makes it, it a cut. little less clear. So I'm going to go with the fact that just because you read it in a script um, doesn't make that part of it canon. And Matt, I, I disagree with you 100%. I think that <laughs> not only is Sam utilizing his photographic memory here, I mean, he, he would have known um, Magic's name, rank, and serial number because he was wearing it around his neck. The entire leap mm -hmm. and as a signalman he probably had to repeat it several times you just didn't see that on screen mm -hmm. but i also think that what you said allison i mean they're swapping neurons and masons and they do establish in the series that sam takes on the traits of his leapies sometimes so i think that um not as it just him remembering it but i think it's a wonderful little wrinkle that i i also never noticed before this rewatch is that he's carrying all of these people with him and it makes Sam like the most woke person on the planet because you say, you know, if you want to understand somebody, walk a mile in their yeah. shoes. Well, he's living these people's lives and he's bringing all of that with him on each subsequent leap. And I find that that if, if we're going to look at it that way, 
for a show that doesn't have a lot to build on because every it's anthology, every leaf is different. It's a wonderful through line to at least imagine the character having all of these separate identities within him in some fashion, informing the choices that he makes going forward, informing what he does and why he's so altruistic and why he's such a good guy. Anyway, it was it was it was a revelation that I had about it on this rewatch that I never had before. That's a nice way of looking at it. I love the idea that he has pieces of all of the people that he's leaped into stay with him. And I don't know about like him knowing things that happen post leap. Like that's I don't I'm not sure about that. But I do think that he probably has residuals from everyone, just sort of there from being with them. And uh, it it makes you wonder, you know, like is Sam even the person that he was before he leaped? We actually don't really have that much of a reference about what he was like mm. before he was a leaper. So he could have been completely different. He might not even have been that good of a guy before. Mm. Mm. Well, I, I have a hard time believing that, but hey, anything's possible. I mean, he did he did uh, befriend Al, uh, you know, when he was uh, at his lowest. So I guess he must have been somewhat of a good guy. <laughs> Since you guys evoked evoked the writer in me earlier to to fill in some headcanon, the funny thing is I did address this a little bit in foreknowledge because Sammy Joe was trying to come up with a, retrie- a retrieval formula for Sam. And the reason it didn't work, uh, according to Ziggy, and this is right in chapter one, I believe, so no one's going to be like crying about spoilers. But according to Ziggy, it's because he has been leaping for so long that um, – when he swaps the neurons and mesons with his hosts, um, it makes it very difficult to get a, a solid fix on him to bring him back. But when he leaps out of a situation in whatever limbo he winds up in before you know the week passes where he might come back into the waiting room, he's whole. He's mm. regained everything that he's lost. And Sammy Joe says in frustration, well, then our greatest chance of retrieving him is when we have no way of knowing where he is. <laughs> and Ziggy's like, yeah, correct. You know, and I, I tried to play with that a little bit as a writer, but I kind of like this interpretation a million times better. So from now on, if I ever get a chance to readdress that as a writer or in any way, I, I, I want to carry this this idea forward because it's just more interesting. Yeah, and they do uh, later on in season five, they do kind of get into like, you know, the reasons why the retrieval attempt failed and um, why the timing is important with getting mm. leapers back. Without spoiling too much. <laughs> no, well, they also, you know, they, they fudge it as they need to to keep the show going. Yeah, because, sure. I mean, we'll talk about this, I think, a lot in the leap back. But let's let's get there when we get there. Yeah. Some of the people that uh, Sam becomes in shock theater, we don't have any reference to how they acted when they weren't Sam. Like uh, Kid Cody or Tom Stratton. Mm-hmm. Those were both really early leaps when they got even less into like what the characters were like when Sam wasn't them. So Scott Bakula has to basically just come up with characters for them. And uh, apparently he's using this uh, as an excuse to use all of his accents. (laughs) (laughs) He's got a Brooklyn accent, a Texan accent. What the hell is a quark? Well, this here is a subatomic structure of a quark. What the hell is a quark? That was the greatest line of the episode. (laughs) (laughs) I'm really glad you brought that up because that is that whole area is the big issue that I have with this episode. It's distracting. 
Yeah, it it feels like this episode is trying to be a body swap comedy. It's a Freaky Friday, it's a vice versa, whatever. But Scott is pretending... Did you just to... reference the 1988 film Vice Versa? Yeah. Starring a young Fred Savage. <laughs> is that and right? Dr. Masters from this yeah. episode. Oh, I hadn't even realized that. There we He's go. In, yeah. Oh my God. I can't believe we're... we're uh, you don't know any movies we talk about, but you know Vice Versa? Let's, let's <laughs> pretend I did that intentionally. Vice Versa. What if we're stuck like this? Oh my God. I have to go through puberty again. So it, this this is a body swap comedy, but without our ability to see the actors that Scott Bakula is impersonating because he's not impersonating actors. And then for me, because I start to overthink things, I start to do all these mental somersaults where like, I'm looking back to Colour of Truth. I'm picturing all the characters, all the guest characters that we saw in that episode. I'm picturing that community I'm visualising Jesse as we saw him in the mirror. And then I'm trying to put the characterization that Scott is making, which is a false characterization based on an imaginary character, <laughs> into that world in order to picture what that community was like when Scott wasn't there. And you, you have to you do that to a certain extent in every episode. You kind of try and imagine what the what the character was like before the leap in. Um, but this gives you kind of enough information to plug the gaps, but without doing it in such a way that's really helpful. Um, and it, it really it takes me out of the drama of the episode um, because it yeah it it just it makes me think about those other episodes far too much and not in a helpful way. Well, I don't know who Dracula is, but I've got me a powerful thirst too. And I don't know who Dracula is, but I got me a powerful thirst too. What's it take to get a man a glass of water? I love it. And Matt, you're wrong. I'm sorry, you're wrong. I think that um, <laughs> if we want to go with the interpretation that we just discovered here and now, that he's carrying these bits and pieces of these people with him, I, I, I think that he might be being genuine in this respect um that's the way i choose to look at it no that, that's fine he's being genuine whatever it doesn't matter which way you look at it the fact is that as a viewer of the show i'm trying to imagine I, and i'm sorry i can't remember where color of truth is set but i'm trying to imagine that town and i i, I want to be able to put that characterization in there and it i i can't because it's this 30 odd year old white guy putting on a really bad accent i didn't realize uh that jesse was such a curmudgeon watching uh, yeah. color of truth <laughs> and that's yeah that, that's the thing you, you get these new bits of character which we've not discovered before and uh, yeah fine okay we can accept that that's genuine character but it's still it's new character that we're then discovering two and a half years later but it feels like we should already know that because he's just he he's bringing back a character we know but he's not. He's not bringing back a character we know. Well, I feel like mm. this is um, it's a double-edged sword here, because uh, Scott Bakula's performance here, he has to come up with all of these characters, um, mm. out of thin air. Because yeah, these are characters yeah. that we don't know, and you can tell by the way he talks, um, <laughs> and his mannerisms are all completely different. The way that he carries himself, the way that he walks, the way that um he speaks softer when he is the female character, you know? So I, I really appreciate that performance. 
um, yeah. in one yeah. episode to be able to do that. Because for yeah. um, a show where he becomes a new character every week, he doesn't actually. He's mm-hmm. playing uh, Sam Beckett, who has to pretend to be all of these other people, but he actually becomes them here. Um, and even before he becomes uh, Samantha, he's got to play this weird blank version of himself. Um, he's disoriented and childlike, and he's kind of crawling around the bed frame. And you can see pieces of Sam trying to come back during certain parts. You know, when he's uh, after he becomes Tom Stratton and, and Al fades out, and when he says Al's name, you can tell that's Sam speaking. Um, so I love that. Um, yeah. But on the other hand, <laughs> the accents are a little distracting. Um, yeah. And sometimes it can go into comedy territory when it's not supposed to be. I, I have to be really careful here because I don't want to make fun of anyone who does speak like that. Um, anyone who has Down syndrome or uh, black people from the South or, you know, anything like that. Um, but coming out of Scott Bakula doing these impersonations, it's just... Mm-hmm. It's goofy. It's really goofy. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know what? Maybe I've seen the episode so many times that I don't even register that stuff anymore. To me, it's just part and parcel of what this episode is. And like I said, to be honest with you guys, it never really bothered me to begin with. What I was thinking is, I guess it gets back to something we were talking about earlier about the the choice of the leapies that they made for this episode and the fact that it kind of stuns me that you're telling me that they decided to hypnotize Sam to become Jimmy because he would be more receptive to shock therapy. I had I had a similar thought. It wasn't along those lines, but why they chose Jimmy as the final character for this leap in order to get Sam out and simply because Jimmy is more malleable as as a character and you might be able to talk him into doing something that sam doesn't want to do but he kind of i don't know al talks all of them into kind of doing stuff yeah but to 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 do the shock again do you think yeah, that kid that's cody pretty or tom stratton they would have said go that's yourself. true I, yeah i guess kid cody <laughs> yeah. is not too into it but i mean i think really the the line of thinking was who are memorable people and you know they had the line about the hypnotism in the script, so I'm sure that was something they were thinking of, like, why would it be Jimmy at the end? Uh, but I still do really like that, it, maybe as a happy accident, this did seem to parallel things in Al's life um, because of what happened with his sister. So I think it, it mm-hmm. brought their stories together a little more. The fact that, you know, he's yelling at him to get the shock treatment and be mistreated at this place, um, the same kind of place where his sister died because of neglect. Yeah, it's heavy. It's a much heavier wrinkle. It, it makes it even more horrific than it already is. I mean, and you can tell that, like, Dean Stockwell is near tears in a lot of parts in this episode. Like, it was a great performance from both of them. Yeah. I also wanted to point out real quick um, the cameo by my best friend, Jean-Pierre Dorliac. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Which you know, one was that? The guy at the beginning when Sam's being wheeled in um, after the treatment, and he goes like, you're the butcher, I know oh, yeah. you're the butcher. You're the butcher, I know you're the butcher. <laughs> that's Jean-Pierre? <laughs> yeah, that's Jean-Pierre Dorliac. Well, well, there you go. I mean, they're going to get him in. First, he's a, 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 a pillar of the community who beats his wife, and now he's a Looney Tune in a big white room. Yeah. <laughs> so, Jean-Pierre gets no love on this show. Holy <laughs> <God>. Aww. <laughs> 
was a great performance. That was uh, his his best uh, cameo since uh, Tequila and Benetti. From the creator of Magnum P.I. and Quantum Leap, it's two cops, six legs, and one bad attitude. I'll serve you to him like sushi. With the bite on crime with Tequila and Benetti, Friday. <laughs> <laughs> now you have to dish, do dish. Oh, he played himself on Tequila and Benetti because um, oh. Tequila, the dog, uh, is hired for a commercial uh, after he uh, after he saves someone from a fire or something, and then he gets a big head about it, and he's like egotistical, <laughs> and he's got to get a costume for his acting, and so he goes to the designer Jean Pierre Jarliac. <laughs> I see. Now, in in the universe of Tequila and Benetti, did everybody know that Tequila could talk, or was it like a Davy and Goliath kind of thing where only where only Benetti could hear him. No, only the audience hears him. Benetti doesn't even hear him, except for a psychic played by um, Liz Torres. This show gets yeah. more ridiculous every time we talk about it. By the way, can I just say, the origin <laughs> of Tequila and Benetti is in Quantum Leap because the original name of Tequila and Benetti was Tequila and Boner. <laughs> I don't know why they changed that name. Tequila <laughs> and Boner are two characters in the episode M.I.A. M.I.A.? Are you kidding me? Yeah, the two guys that uh, the, at the end, the, the, the Sam's got to blow away. That's Tequila and Boner. <laughs> Reading that script, knowing about Tequila and Benetti, Shot tequila and boner dead on the floor. Hilarious. <laughs> tequila and boner raise their rifles. <laughs> <laughs> and then they sing the ABC rap. I don't know. I love this show, guys. <laughs> it shows. <laughs> Oh my God! There's just wheels within wheels in Allison Pregler's brain. It's it's amazing to behold. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. It's an amazing place in there. Well, I know we're having a lot of fun, but Matt, there were other things that you said. I mean, the body swapping obviously is the one that annoys you more and more as it goes on. Were there other things about this episode that just keep turning you off? No, you know what? It's 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 mostly that. It's it's the fact that this feels like it's meant to be kind of like a, a a good quality equivalent of a clip show um and i i don't mean that in a disrespectful way it feels like it, you know we, we sh we're revisiting old favorites but then we don't it it almost promises a lot that it just doesn't deliver um because all we can do as fans is say hey, yeah i remember that character being named um <laughs> that's that's about it. How is Kid Cody that memorable, though? Well, yeah, I know. Kid Cody's... <laughs> That's kind of weird. Every time I watch this episode, I go, oh, yeah, I forgot Kid Cody was in this one. <laughs> Feel a little punch drunk, that's for sure. <laughs> it's a very random one to bring back. I love it when he's shadow boxing with the fan, though. It's kind of cool. When he's doing his, like, Brooklyn accent, he, uh... <laughs> He reminded me, there was another movie that Scott Bakula did where he was doing, like, a, a Brooklyn accent. And uh, he's just, like, swearing in it a lot because it's an R-rated Showtime movie. No. <laughs> and so it's him just, thro like, throwing the F-bomb out constantly in this Brooklyn accent. And he's also playing a slight racist who learns not to be so racist through this case. Uh, truly. Wow. An oh, and he's got to solve baseball murders. What an evolution. <laughs> Anyway, good movie. 
thank you and you. I didn't like his attitude. You one of those uh, politically correct motherfuckers who sees racism everywhere. Park is trying to smash our fucking heads in. The concept behind this episode bothers me, and the the resolution. That just give him another shock. That that'll work. It's just so goofy. It's really hard to take it seriously. But you know what? As goofy as it is, it works in the moment. Yeah, it, it it's a it's a really good, if very obvious, opportunity for Scott to show off his acting abilities. And let's not forget, for several years, he's been doing interviews where people have been saying, "Wow, you're you're such an amazing actor. You play a different character every week." Um, and as as um, one of you said earlier on, he, he doesn't he doesn't play a different character every week. But they've been bigging up Scott like he can do that. Um, and then they finally give him this opportunity, which is fantastic. It's really atmospheric. I love how dark this is um, in in literal and like in the cinematography. Um, there's just there's just elements of it that really bug me, and I I want to I want to love this episode like I did when I first saw it. And you know what I think we need to do, Matt? We need to give you Shaka. You give Jimmy Shaka now. Uh, I'll go away. Give, give me shocker. That, that'll reset everything. Two hundred and twenty specifically. Maybe, maybe two twenty. I mean, considering the fact that the, the the number is such an important plot point that he's got to have the same shock as before, you'd think they'd pay some attention to the continuity because every time they clip across to that, it's like a different number. Well, I didn't have to write a book about the episode, so um, I was spared those glaring inconsistencies. <laughs> the ending of uh, Nuclear Family when he leaps into shock theater. Has a different machine. Oh yeah, yeah, different, different number and different machine. Yeah, yeah, it's not even the same one. I wonder why they changed their mind on that. So it's it's one nine five at the end of there. It's two twenty at the start of this, and then at the end, the nurse says, "Yeah, I'll raise it to 200 and then she puts it up to two o five. So <laughs> it, it, it... we're not dealing with the most competent staff, didn't we already establish that? Yeah. <laughs> There's a very similar nitpick in the next episode for me, which yeah, we'll we'll come to. I feel like the uh, the DVD copy of this was a real detriment to the episode um, compared to like the Blu-ray and the HD masters they did later. Like the Universal mm. DVD, like a lot of episodes, it was really dark. Yeah. Like the like I don't know why they why it's so dimly lit for some reason. Why the video is darkened, but you lose a lot of details that you don't see except when you get, like, the better quality, like, streaming versions and HD and stuff like that. Like, you can't, you can barely tell that his temples are burned or that the drool's yeah. there and all these kind of really horrific details. Well, I didn't have that problem watching it on the NBC website, so... Well, that's because it it's an exist. HD copy. Uh, yeah, it's still, still it's, it's not the greatest transfer, but um, it it did come through more clearly than it did on my vhs copy i can tell you that <laughs> you didn't have like that crisp detailing <laughs> no but um i think all the hipsters out there are salivating that i still own vhs cassettes unfortunately i don't have a vcr anymore so i can't oh. i can't compare but you know that's the breaks the dem dems are the breaks of progress that was my yeah. jesse tyler did i do it right or was that what that was Wait, that what was the hell Jesse is a VCR. What? <laughs> Dems the bra- what? It's no worse than the way Scott portrayed him. What the hell is a clock? That wasn't anything. What are you talking about? 
I thought that was your kid Cody. <laughs> you could do kid Cody all the time. That's yeah. Your, yeah, that's the thing. I was house. thinking about it when I saw. I mean, if... how did you think of that accent as the New Yorker? Um, it was uh, serviceable. Uh... <laughs> Is, is that the fan service that you wrote into the notes there? No, this whole episode is fan service. This yeah. whole episode is remember this, remember this, remember, oh, you love this, didn't you? Oh, remember <laughs> that part? I mean, the entire episode is built around fan wanking. It's, it's the, yeah. to, to, to really hammer home the, 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 the stuff that they know are going to press all the fans' buttons. And for that, I think, I think it, worked, it worked great because it works on me every time. I mean, that part where Sam looks up and says, save Sam, mm. it still gets me. And I mean, I, I know where I, I guess we're sort of veering into final thoughts here. And say what you will about some of the scenes that show in this episode and how utterly ridiculous the alphabet rap is. Scott playing Jimmy and at the end sort of Scott in, in peril, Scott tortured, is so vulnerable and so wonderful in so much of this episode and it gets me every time it chokes me up so yeah there's a lot to contend with a lot that maybe doesn't work on multiple viewings but in the end the emotion is there and i think that's why this one stands out to fans just beyond the fan service it is still a really moving episode it hits all of the right notes for me i just i love how they go into the relationship um, I love the acting in it. I even love that they include the ABC rap because that is just a, a shining moment in Quantum Leap to me. That is one of my favorite moments because the drama is so good. And then you throw that in and just they commit to it. You know, they commit to the ABC rap and they commit to all these things. And uh, I think it's one of Sam's most dire leaps, really. Like, it is one of the worst situations for him to be in. And... uh I just thought like it was, ah, it's just so good. I love it. I'm right. not, I'm not as good at wording it as you, but uh, I just. But I mean, good. the peril in this one felt genuine, like it never did in Last Dance before an execution. So even though they were equally sort of gimmicky episodes, this one worked. This one landed. Well, and it's Sam's peril too. Like it's not really about the person that he leaped into, which maybe is a bit to the, the detriment of, of some things because yeah, the leapy does kind of get forgotten. Like Sam Biederman, what his life is kind of worse off. You know, everyone kind of, t- you know, well, naked and dead. But I, I think the peril I was talking about was the fact that nonsense at the end of Last Dance where he doesn't leap out until the electricity, until the switch is thrown, just because. And I, yeah, do you, like I said in that episode, do you really think Sam was ever in any danger of being electrocuted? <laughs> of course not. But in this, is there danger of them losing contact with the project? I felt there could be. Yeah. 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 Well, and also Sam's in danger and doesn't know he's in danger. So it's sort of Al trying to help him help himself, but he just is not there to do it. And and it's, Al is helpless for a lot of it, just trying to solve this, not being able to, to do anything but use his words, really. And we haven't really seen that since the pilot. And so Sam, and obviously this, this goes much further than the pilot ever did. But yeah, that's, I think, is why the peril is there, because Sam cannot act for himself. Well said. Yeah, I said at the start, um, 
I see a lot of good in this episode. It is one of my favourites. Um, there's there's bits that after repeated viewings I started to pick at and started to focus on. And talking about it to you guys and hearing your love for it, I'm, I'm kind of starting to put those back to one side where they should be. Um, so I, I guess maybe over the last hour or so I've, I've remembered the original appreciation I had for it. Um, I might need to watch it again and just try and not overthink it too much because there there is a lot of good to it it's still my favorite episode this didn't change my opinion on it or anything um but i don't disagree like these are all thoughts that i had i think it's an imperfect episode but the stuff that's really good is really Mm. damn good like i love the stuff about the lore i love the stuff about the relationship and how deep it dives into it i love the details that you can read into about further things uh with these characters um I think it's just so great and it has the most memorable leap out ever I think everyone remembers yes. what happens at the end of this my god so it's just yeah. ah, so much good that must have been such a good cliffhanger for you guys he says grumpily <laughs> <laughs> I gotta tell you it, it was it was phenomenal I was on like all summer saying oh my god I cannot wait for season four to start we so. we did um, BBC Two did the same thing here that they did with uh, Best of Both Worlds um, for Star Trek: The Next Generation. They just held back the final few episodes of Quantum Leap season three so they could run it straight into season four. So we had a good cliffhanger, but it lasted a week. <laughs> okay. yeah. Well, still a week is a long time, right? Like we're so used to not watching things in real time anymore. It's like ugh, cliffhangers. I'd have, I'd have loved having the whole summer to to talk about that and wonder about it. Well, it's not like I was doing that because, again, I was the only guy I knew who watched <laughs> Quantum Leap. So Aww. some of my roommates were into it because they liked to watch it with me. But aside from looking at each other and saying, yeah, that was really cool. I can't wait till next year. You know, you went about your life. There wasn't fan communities online that were accessible back then. It just it just wasn't really a thing unless you were subscribing to zines or newsletters or whatever, and I wasn't doing any of that. So, uh, Matt, like you, I suffered in in silence and, and <laughs> I was alone. But uh, uh, I mm. I marathoned this on DVD. <laughs> oh. you had a two minute wait while the end credits ran. Yeah, <laughs> she she skipped those. <laughs> I do remember though when I was reading the plot synopsis for like future episodes. Um, I was really looking forward to watching that one. So there was still like the hype there. I was like, ooh. So guys, we keep talking about the next episode, the next episode, the anticipation for the next episode, but we haven't actually told anybody what the next episode is. Guys, what's coming up? The Leap Back. Hell? You Okay. You must sleep with me. Oh, we did it, Sam. Sam, what the hell am I doing in this uniform? I know you must be excited about this one, Matt. I know you you mentioned you really like Leap Back. Yeah, I do. Again, um, there's there's some fundamental issues that I have with it, but (laughs) I love it. 
Um, and uh, yeah, it's certainly one that I've watched time and time again. I absolutely adore it as well, so I can't wait to talk about it. I have one giant glaring issue with it, but Ooh. we'll get into that as we discuss the episode. So until then, everyone, or you want to do that, Alison, I'm sorry, you're, you're leading this one, right? So until then, everyone, I'm Dracula. <laughs> blah, blah. I don't know who Dracula is. I got a powerful thirst after talking on Mike for so long, though. <laughs> All right. Uh, we'll see you guys around. Uh, I've been Allison Pregler. I've been Christopher DeFilippis. And I've been Matt Dale. Catch you on the flip side. <laughs> <laughs> it's my life. Let's wrap our way out. <laughs> Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Quantum Leap Podcast, hosted by Allison, Matt, and Chris, with voice talent and contributions from Zoe Dean and Hayden McQueenie. Visit us at quantumleappodcast.com. To support the show, please go to patreon.com slash quantumleappodcast. The Quantum Leap Podcast is edited by Albie, Allison, and Christopher DeFilippis. The production assistant is Jesse Newman. The executive producer of the Quantum Leap podcast is Albert Burge. Juan Miro, Christopher DeFilippis, and Hayden McQueenie are the co-executive producers. The thoughts expressed on this podcast are those of the individual and do not necessarily represent or reflect those of the Quantum Leap podcast, its partners, or affiliates. The Quantum Leap universe and all it contains is the property of Belisarius Productions and Universal Television. The Quantum Leap Podcast is not affiliated with Belisarius Productions or Universal Television, and no copyright infringement is intended. Please visit barrenspace.com for this and other amazing content. The Quantum Leap Podcast is a Baron Space production. Uh, right in the middle of the groove. <laughs> Stupid dog. <laughs> Penelope, you ruined everything. Yeah. Penelope, you're a little... <laughs> Thank you and you. <laughs>